The 21st century has seen some powerful slogans. Barack Obama said, yes, we can, ahead of the 2008 US election. Environmental campaigner Greta Thunberg declared our house is on fire when talking about the ever-worsening climate change crisis. And Claudio Ranieri uttered the inspirational words, dilly ding, dilly dong, on his way to the Premier League title with Leicester in 2016. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. word when it comes to our betting guru Mark O'Hare who spent the entire international break in the bet cave working out the best angles. He wasn't allowed out for food. He was allowed a bit of water now and again. Uh, Mark, in terms of uh, avoiding the drop in the Premier League, do we think Watford bringing Ranieri back to England helps or hinders them? Yeah, good question. Um, when I heard the announcement and his appointment, I kind of shrugged my shoulders a little bit. Um, I don't think it's a game-changing appointment in any sort of, you know, I don't think it's going to inspire a huge uplift in performance levels from Watford. Um, I think they're probably, I think there is enough individual quality in the squad to be competitive and, and realistically look at potentially trying to survive. But I don't think it changes the forecast of them being in the bottom six and a probable relegation battle. Um, he's obviously, his pedigree and his experience is obviously more or better than Francisco's was but um, I think Cisco needs a bit of credit as well for the work he achieved because he came in at a time when Watford were really struggling to find their feet in the championship as a, as a relative unknown really and he transformed their fortunes got them up really comfortably which was you know, a world away from where they were when he came into the into, into the position so we know Watford's owners are pretty ruthless operators and uh, I wouldn't be too surprised though if, if Ranieri doesn't even last until May until the end of the season as well and they make another change because I don't think he is a game-changing appointment uh, I'm surprised they didn't go for someone like Diego Martinez who's out of work um after working wonders with Granada. Uh, I know the Pozzos don't own Granada and haven't done for a while now, but he feels like someone who'd be more suitable and able to sort of engineer something immediate, really. Um, you know, it might be a short-term fix for, for Watford, but I don't think long-term it's going to be something sustainably strong for them. But I'd be interested to hear what, what you guys think, because uh, personally, I haven't really changed Watford's rating at all since the appointment. Yeah, it's quite an interesting one because at Sampdoria... He came in and they were really struggling and he managed to save them comfortably. And then I think he realized he'd taken the team as far as he could. But with Fulham, uh, it didn't quite work out so well. Um, he's been crunching numbers, reeling off winners all season. The data doctor, Jake Oscarthorpe, is in from Infogol. Jake, what do we think of Ranieri then? And where were Watford at before the managerial change? Was it necessary? Um well, uh, there's a couple of ways you can look at it. You can look at it and say, well, they're performing better than Norwich. You know, they've got two wins on the board, way more points than what Norwich have uh, in that regard. But then when you look at a little bit deeper at the schedule that Watford actually faced, they actually played the easiest schedule over the opening seven matches based on the forecast positions of opponents. So Infragol, as well as predicting where or suggesting where teams should be based on expected points, you also do a predicted table as to where we expect teams to finish. And based on that metric... Watford had the easiest schedule uh, of any team in the Premier League for the opening seven matches. So the fact that they've only got seven points, only four points clear of the drop zone is perhaps a little bit of a concern. Um, and that's potentially, I mean, you'd like to hope, wouldn't you, that, uh, that the, the Pozzo family are looking at this kind of data and, suggest, and, and looking at, the, not basing this on the fact that they needed to sack Cisco Munoz, but um, 
you know, th- th- those metrics, the fact that they're putting up really poor expected goal figures, especially in attack, coupled with the fact that they've had the easiest schedule, perhaps suggests that they do need uh, or did need to make a change. And, and, and like Mark, I've not made any changes to any ratings whatsoever from Watford. I don't, I don't think it's going to be, you know, Ranieri worked wonders at Leicester, obviously, as you mentioned, did a good job at Sampdoria. But is he really a good enough manager to get this group of players um, comfortably safe in the Premier League? I would suggest probably not. I don't think this Watford team is, is very good. I think as, apart from Ishmael Assar, their attacking output is um, and the personnel that they've got there is, is really disappointing. And you're looking at the, the fixtures that they've got coming up and um, it, there's an argument to be made that come December, Ranieri might be out of a job because they, the next eight games, they play six of last season's top eight. So they start with Liverpool. Uh, they've got Arsenal, Man United, Leicester, Chelsea and Man City in the next eight. And they play away at Everton, who obviously didn't finish last season in the top eight. So effectively, they've got seven really difficult matches coming up in the next eight. And, and if they are to, you know, maybe lose six of those, you'd expect them to be in the relegation places after that, um, what, what would be game week 15. And, and all of a sudden, there might be another change on the horizon. Um, and it's not beyond the realms of possibility given the way in which Watford have started the season. The squad that they have there um, definitely needs some some additions. And I'm not sure if Ranieri is the, is the, the man, as Mark suggested, a, a better um, replacement, in my opinion as well, would have been Martinez, um, to sort of tighten things up. I don't, I don't think that's his his sort of best asset uh, is tightening things up defensively. And they do need a lot of tightening up. And as I've mentioned, going forward, they are one of the worst teams in the league. Only Norwich have created fewer chances based on expected goals than them. So um, there are a huge amount of issues. And you know, it, it would be a miracle if they did pick up, say, 10 points over the next eight matches, um, I, I think. I like that at some stage in that answer, Jake, you kind of gently suggested to the Pozzos they should hire you as an analyst. <laughs> uh, I think they should be looking at this data. Yeah, this, this is the kind of stuff they should look at. I'm the kind of guy who can let them look at that data. Um, Odds compiler Mark Stinchcombe is with us. All of these guys in profit at the moment this season, by the way. It's been an excellent start to the campaign. Stinch, I know you straight away, as soon as this appointment was made, you put out a really interesting tweet about the potentially being value in backing Ranieri to not last very long at all. Yeah, it was available at 4.5. I think it's still available at 3.75. And it's difficult to know what the true price is because obviously we don't, we're not uh, partial to the the talks that the the owners have. But, you know, what exactly is that bet, Stinch? What exactly Uh, is the... uh, Ranieri to leave the job before Christmas, essentially. Wow. So sacked or resigned or just whatever, you know, removed. And Jake's already mentioned the fixtures. We already know about Watford's history in uh, in changing managers for almost the sake of it. You know, like I remember when they got relegated from the Premier League, they got rid of Pearson with, what, two or three games to go? Um, you know, they will just do it uh, on a whim. And, and to be fair, like just before January seems like the optimum time, you know, before the transfer window um, to get, you know, get that, get more of their own players in and under, under a manager that can perhaps rejuvenate them. I think they literally just kind of chance their arm on a, some sort of new manager bounce but you know the new manager bounce is not really a thing basically when a when a new manager comes in and, and their form seems to turn around it's because a lot of the time sackings are knee-jerk 
and managers are sacked because some of the time it is down to bad luck and then that bad luck just evens itself out so that people automatically think that the new managers had an impact i'm not saying the new manager doesn't but it's a lot more complicated than just saying we get a new manager in and things turn around in terms of ranieri i think the man's a bit of a fraud um you know he managed wow wow okay You know, okay, Stitch, the floor is yours. Let's hear this. He managed Napoli, Fiorentina, Valencia, Atletico, Chelsea, Juve, Inter, Roma, and Monaco, and won zero leagues. Now, come on, like that. How does he keep getting these jobs? Like it baffles me. Obviously, nice guy. Can't say anything about him in terms of personality. But, you know, he lasted just 109 days at Fulham. I don't know why they thought he could turn things around. Um, Sacked by Greece. You know, I just think, obviously, it's fantastic fairy tale with Leicester winning the league. But I just think it's one of those things that was just, you just, you can't explain it. It's just one of those things that's just completely mad. And there's no, like, rationale behind it. See, I don't, I don't rate Ranieri uh, one bit, and yeah, I think Watford are in massive trouble because other than Norwich, I don't think there's a lot of cannon fodder this season in the Premier League, especially with Newcastle's takeover. You'd expect them to improve with probably a new manager, probably new players. Um, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think they've been taken over with the view that they'll go down this season and then then rebuild from there. You know, they're gonna rebuild now. You'd have thought. So yeah, other than Norwich and maybe Burnley, I don't think we've got kind of obvious candidates for relegation. So I think Watford are massive in trouble now. This is what I like about Stinch. He doesn't hide those opinions. Quite happy uh, to say what he thinks. Uh, Stinch, let's stick with you because you mentioned Norwich there. Let's get into the match action. Norwich against Brighton. Norwich did manage to get that point against Burnley, but still in big trouble after a dreadful start to the season. And they're 3.8 in the match odds market to beat to Brighton side that's playing pretty well. Yeah, I would say a Brighton side that is maybe had mostly this season maybe a bit of luck which we kind of don't associate with them so maybe you know is variance kind of even itself out obviously it's only seven seven matches we've got to sort of work with for for this season but they lost Ben White so he kind of feels a you know bit of a cog there in the team but I've been quite impressed with them um, defensively I would say rather than their uh, attacking output Um, they are in my opinion probably a top eight Premier League club in 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 the making. I think I think there's that's a good remarkable, isn't it? Really, when, when you think of the size of the club, the history of the club, that's testament to the owner, the work he's done, and testament to Graham Potter's coaching, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the I think being owned by Tony Bloom, a successful gambler, you know, they understand the difference between probability and chance. They look at these underlying data metrics that a lot of us do in the gambling industry that's not really that well um, sort of leaned on, I would say, within the footballing world. You know, got quite, quite a lot of people, old school thinkers, I would say. But, you know, top clubs like City, Liverpool, etc., you know, they are using this data now. The likes of Brentford, we know, do similar thing. Um, so, but yeah, you're right. It is testament. You know, Chris Hooton was doing a decent enough job keeping them in the league, but they wanted to develop Brighton into, you know, more of a team that are challenging higher up the league. And, you know, long term, you got to think that you know that is their goal to to try and get into Europe and trying to you know challenge for those higher echelons, maybe a, a decent cut run. 
Um, so yeah, I think a lot of credit to to the owner and the, their their thought process basically because it is 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 a little bit unheard of. And it's the kind of kind of thing that you know if you were to suggest it in a, a job interview, some places you'd probably just be laughed off, you know, because it's not it's not really that well sort of understood. Um, so yeah, obviously we're, we're, we've been pro Brighton I think on the on the podcast for for a long time, um, which is completely opposite for Norwich. I'm massively anti Norwich. Uh, I think we spoke about them to be relegated. Uh, beginning of the season um, they're really struggling like really really struggling I mean they've only scored two goals in in their seven games and both of them from from Timu Puki and one was a penalty so just one goal from uh, from open play I think uh, obviously the loss of Emi Buendia is impossible for a side like Norwich to, to replace I mean I think they signed Buendia for about a million and then shipped him off for 30 so great business in that respect but in terms of finding a replacement very very difficult uh, I think Rashika like, I do think he's a good player, but I don't think he's the kind of guy that when you're in a relegation battle, you can kind of count on probably. Um, but kind of looking longer, longer term at Norwich, it's now 14 of the last 17 Premier League games they've failed to score in. And I know we're jumping back an additional season, but it is most of that same squad, the same manager, the same kind of... Just, they just don't really have any, any... I don't think they have like a sort of a... Uh, strong unit there. I think they I think mentally, you know, they go down really easily. And like the, the post match from Daniel Farke, he doesn't ever seem to get upset. I'm not saying that he should. Then it's the right thing to do. But you know, you just wonder whether is there enough fight there. Um, so, and I have to say, I found the Premier League quite difficult this season in terms of finding perceived value. I think probably because a lot, because it's early stages and it's not a lot of data to work with. You've got new managers, say uh, Benitez, Everton, for example, uh, the three promoted teams. So like long story short, I'm going for quite a juicier price, I would say. I'm going to back Brighton to keep a clean sheet here at seven to four. So you've got Norwich averaging the second fewest shots per game and it's the fewest shots on target per game. And Brighton, as I mentioned before, they're actually like doing a, their defensive work is, is really good I think they've got the fifth fifth highest possession in the league so in a way you know they're controlling games um, they've got the third third best defense they're the joint third for fewer shots conceded and they've got the fourth best expected goals against so I kind of want to side with Brighton but I'm not willing to pull the trigger on them to win around the even money mark so I'm going for a, for a bit more of a juicier price and we've discussed quite a lot this season about the market has um, Brighton games in for low scoring so I'm kind of siding with that but then just to hoping it's just Norwich that, that aren't contributing to the scoreline. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair's offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Eye-catching game at the King Power. Manchester United make the trip to face Leicester. United, the 2.18 favourites here on the exchange's match odds market. But Mark, United have defensive issues in terms of injuries and they're a bit hit and miss at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Uh, they're coming here without Varane. It looks almost certainly that uh, Maguire's going to miss out as well. So that's their first two centre-halves. So I think you're looking at Lindelof and, and Bailly coming in at centre-half uh, to play in this game. Now, I think when one or t'other of Varane and Maguire have been missing this season, they've looked pretty un unsteady and shaky defensively. So that's immediately a concern. And if you look at the league table, they're only two points off Chelsea, but they've only won twice in their last six across all comps. Three defeats in that, in that sample. Uh, and Solskjaer's been found out. I mean, 
in some of those matches too. Um, Rafa Benitez had the better of it uh, in the Old Trafford game. Dean Smith as well. Uh, and Unai Emery as well, uh, despite Villarreal losing that uh, Champions League game as well. So Brendan Rodgers, I'd class him uh, a level above Solskjaer. So he has the capacity to, to mastermind something here. But at the same point, I think you do have to respect United's road record in this competition. I think it's 29 or 30 games unbeaten away from home uh, since uh, last January or so. Um, so yeah, that commands a lot of respect. And, uh, you know, you look at Leicester, by Brendan Rodgers' own admission after the Palace game, they've, they've been poor this season. Uh, they haven't hit their straps at all. Uh, they gave up a 2-0 lead at Selhurst Park and their only win in the last six was against the Norwich team at Stinch Hates. Um, and yeah, I guess <laughs> the only win then was the opening day against Wolves where they were second best and fortunate to get the points. So yeah, I've got them third bottom for expected points so far this season and they've got their own issues as well because Ndidi and Fafana are missing, Evans has been fit, he hasn't been fit, he has been available and he's not been available. We just don't know what the state of, of his fitness is coming into this weekend. So you're potentially looking at probably their three most key defensive leaders, organisers, uh, the three key players in, in that sort of background uh, rearguard. So without those, you're looking at Sionchu and Vestergaard at centre-half, which is massively concerning against the talent that United have going forward. But on the flip side, um, he did switch things up against Palace, went 4-4-2, Iheanacho alongside Vardy, dropped Madison. Um, and he got a bit of a tune out of his players in forward areas. It's just defensively where they, they look pretty vulnerable too. So, yeah, um, I like the idea of backing goals in this game. Five of Leicester's seven games have gone over as five or seven have seen BTTS. Um, if you look at the XG per game in Leicester's matches, hovering around the three mark, um, go back further to last season, just three clean sheets in 22. Uh, 17 of those uh, 22 games saw both teams scoring. 17 also saw over two and a half goals landing. You look at the key players missing in, in, in defensive areas for both teams, um, but, but I think both teams will pretty much be at full strength in the final third as well. So I think it all marries up quite nicely to suggest there's going to be goals in this game. Uh, I think both teams to score is hovering around 1.7, but you can back over two and a half goals at a much more appeasing price around 1.8. Jake, I know you've got a view on this one too. Mark makes a very compelling case about goals. I have to say that's the way I'd lean as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what I'm, I'm doing as well. Um, I'm taking the both teams to score and it's a shorter price, but we just get, I just can't see either team keep a clean sheet. There's, you know, we speak a lot about Man United and Solskjaer on this podcast and, you know, we, we've hammered him time and time again and I'm going to do it again um, because look, <laughs> looking at the, at the at the sort of data and, and, you know, they're fourth in the table, they're two points behind Chelsea, but then you compare the, the schedules they've played so far and this Manchester United team should be top of the table because compared to City and Chelsea, they've had by far the easiest schedule. I mean, you know, City have played at Spurs, at Leicester, at Chelsea, at Liverpool and hosted Arsenal already. Um, obviously, Chelsea have played um, at Arsenal, at Liverpool, at Spurs and hosted Manchester City. So they've taken on, those two teams in particular have taken on two of the best, you know, quite difficult teams. And Liverpool have played Chelsea and City as well. Whereas United are yet to play anyone um, of any stature. I think their toughest game really, you could argue, is West Ham away. Um, and, you know, the fact that they aren't top of the table or at the very least tied up points with Chelsea is kind of shows you that yet again they're, they're underwhelming and they're not going to get close to a Premier League title um, the XG process warrants them being fourth so it's not bad luck or anything like that they are deserving of their, their results um, and yeah now they've got defensive issues it, it becomes even more difficult to get them on side or want to get them on side because you know 
even with Maguire and Varane, you could argue that they looked vulnerable. I mean, particularly on the counter-attack still. I think that's their Newcastle game and they created loads of chances on, on the break and got into some really good areas. So, um, yeah, Leicester, they've been pathetic so far this season. I'd go as far as saying pathetic because... Well, there's big statements on this show today. We've got well, Ranieri well, you know, as a massive fraud. We've got you saying that Leicester have been pathetic this season. Wow. Okay. The international break's done as good, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they, Mark's mentioned that the, the third uh, bottom on expected points, um, you know, the, the third worst attacking team in the league based on expected goals as well, which is staggering when you consider the firepower that they have there you know you've got Barnes back in the fold Ian Achovardi um, you've got Dakar who's coming as well Iosi Perez so they've got talent there they shouldn't be ranking third bottom based on expected goals and defensively you know they've, they've been all over the place granted they've had issues injury issues but you know Sionchu looks looks like a headless chicken he just seems to be all over the joint um, still not recovered from the Euros and then you know you've got Vestergaard or Evans been in and out because of injuries and defensively, they just look all over the place. 1.75 expected goals against per game is what they're averaging. You combine that with the 1.13 expected goals for per game, and you've got the XG process of a team that we would expect to be in a relegation battle, um, not a team that we forecast at the start of the season to be in and around the, the top six once again. Um, fortunately for Leicester, though, as I said, with the, their attacking issues, they're playing a Man United team that has a really soft centre with Lindelof and Bailly this weekend because, you know joke about Suunchu but every time Bailly plays for Manchester United he calls, he pulls an absolute ricket you know whether it's giving the ball away miscontrolling it taking someone out in the penalty area you know he's liable to do something daft um, and that to me <laughs> it, 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 this is every chance he could do one of those or at least two this weekend playing against players like Vardy and Inacho who are very nippy very tricky uh, and hard to, to tie down but going the other way United have got no problems creating the chances so both teams to score looks a bet for me in this at 1.7 I think it's probably the bet of the weekend for me I'd also just want to say a quick one a big, bigger price bet would be Yannick Vestergaard to score any time at 10 to 1 um, you know the the main reason for that is because Maguire isn't playing. He is a magnet. We know he's a magnet. He's, when when the ball's in the air, it just seems to find him. Uh, and we saw the back end of last season, Leicester went to Old Trafford. You know, United, I think they, they might have played the kids in that game, but Sionchu scored from a set piece with a header. Um, um, we also saw Vestergaard when Maguire was out. I think it was against Southampton uh, last season. Vestergaard scored, got above Lindelof at the back post. Um the game before the international break against Everton, Maguire was out. Michael Keane had a header that flashed just past the post. So they are they concede more chances from set plays without Mike Maguire in the team. I mean, it sounds obvious, doesn't it? Because he is such a dominant force in the air. Um, so looking at that as a potential angle, uh, a longer price goal scorer, whether it be Vestergaard or Suunchu, they're both at ten to one. Um, could be um, sort of small play in this one of interest. Now, it's worth remembering our fantastic multiples offers running every day. Bet £20 on multiples or bet builders and receive a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. As a West Midlands derby at Villa Park, Wolves make the short trip to face Aston Villa. Jake, what have you made of Wolves so far? Because Bruno Lage wants to play exciting, attacking football, but Wolves are averaging fewer than a goal a game at the moment. In part of that, uh, it, it, you know, you're correct the, the, the stats that you read out there, but I think that, you know, it's, it's maybe going overboard here because we're only seven games in, but looking at the data, Wolves are effectively the new Brighton. Um, 
they're this season's Brighton because they sit 12th in the, in the table, but they rank fourth based on expected points through seven matches. And they've had a tough schedule to start off with. They've obviously played Leicester. They've got Manchester United out of the way. They've played Spurs as well. Um, their, their underlying process is really good. They're, they've got the third best expected goal difference in the league. Uh, defensively, only Manchester City have been better um, in terms of expected goals against per game. So from my perspective, I don't see this as um, such a, a mismatch as the odds do because I think Villa, at the time of recording, at 2.28, Wolves are available at 3.6 to win. Personally, I, I think, I've I said it before on this show, I've been disappointed with Villa so far this season. And granted, they've got rid of Grealish and trying to replace him and replicate the same attacking process without him is, is going to be difficult and will take time. But we, we haven't seen enough from them, uh, from in my perspective, from an attacking point of view, for them to be this kind of price uh, at home against a team that I think uh, are an absolute top half team at the very least. Um, I was looking at the data through the international break and Wolves' expected goal difference per game under Bruno Large through seven matches is actually better than the, the XGD that they put up under Nuno in the two se- two seasons they finished seventh in the Premier League so they're performing at that kind of level from an underlying numbers standpoint they've just been a little bit unfortunate with results uh, obviously they haven't scored as many as uh, as they should have that's been their main sort of downfall they've scored just five times from chances equating to 12 expected goals but it shows that they're creating the chances continuously and that's a kind of you know in the long term long scheme of things that that's the sort of thing that you want to see from a team um, so yeah I personally would make Villa maybe even closer to 6-4 to four for this. I think that Wolves defensively, as I've said, only Manchester City have been better this season. Villa struggling in attack. They themselves, though, have impressed me defensively. They look to have a good structure and a good shape since they switched to a back three. Look a little bit tighter back there. Um, so rather than backing Wolves to win, which I do think is a value bet at 3.6, I'm going to take Wolves plus naught on the Asian handicap. Um, so we get the draw on side because I do think this is going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, and when there are a few goals, the draw becomes an obvious runner. So Wolves draw no bet, plus plus naught on the Asian handicap is at 2.56 on the exchange. Um, And to me, that looks a really, really solid bet. Well, to Europe now, Stinch is taking us to Italy for a massive game between the champions Inter and Maurizio Sarri's Lazio. It looks like a good one, this Stinch. Yeah, I think it should be quite entertaining and and kind of going down down that route to be honest of, of goals um, I was looking down Serie A and I was kind of surprised that uh, there's six other Serie A fixtures where over two and a half goals is shorter so over two and a half is, is four to six here and just just looks just looks a bit wrong to me I mean we all know that Serie A is a a lot more goal heavy, you know. It's shaken off the the tags of uh, Catanaccio, hasn't it? Over the over the last seems like four or five years at least now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Serie A last season averaging over three goals per game. We got fans back, albeit a reduced uh, amount. And so far the the goals per game at three point two. So yeah, I was just surprised that uh, it's here at four to six. Obviously both teams have got new managers this season. So Maurizio Sarri's at, at Lazio and Simone Inzaghi's left Lazio for Inter. So uh, there's been a little bit of war words beforehand. I think Luis Alberto uh, mentioned that it's already better under Sarri or something like that. So I think it could be quite feisty this this one. Um, but yeah, so far there's not not been anything to to change. Uh, both both teams in terms of the, the goals they're seeing in their games um, Lazio's game so far I've seen tw- a massive 27 goals which is nearly four a game um, five of their seven have gone over two and a half and Simone Inzaghi is actually although 
although Inter have started well results-wise, he's only actually kept one clean sheet. Um, and that's six out of seven of their games have gone over two and a half. And just looking a bit further back, uh, 11 of Lazio's 15 at the Olympico have gone over two and a half. And Inter's last 11 in Syria have gone over two and a half. So, yeah, I just I just think it this game lends itself to, to goals and just continue the, the, the trends. And, yeah, I just think this four to six won't be there at kickoff. Um, I'm going to be a little bit more clever, though, and um, well, I say clever or greedy, rather. Um, take the over 2.75 on the, on the exchange around about 1.88. So it's half my bet on over two and a half goals and half my bet on, on over three. So if we get exactly three, uh, I get a push and, and a half win. So the only way the bet loses is if there's two or fewer goals. And yeah, it should be a, an entertaining one on a Saturday, I think. Might turn out to be greedy and clever. Uh, let's take the football-only better minivan to Germany because Mark has a Bundesliga clash for us. Yeah, there's only one team left in the Bundesliga unbeaten after seven rounds. And it's not Bayern Munich, it's not Dortmund, it's not Leipzig, it's not Leverkusen, it's Freiburg. Um, yes! <laughs> and uh, plucky little Freiburg and they start a new era this weekend and then brand new stadium uh, home to RB Leipzig, a difficult game. But uh, I think they're worth a small interest really as, as big underdogs coming into this match. Um, obviously we lose a little bit of home advantage when they've moved to a new stadium, new surroundings. Effectively it's a, it's a neutral game for both teams. Um, if you like, because uh, this is Freiburg's first competitive game in in this stadium. But um, they have developed a history, really, for upsetting the odds as big underdogs when playing the bigger fish in the Bundesliga under Christian Strike. And you look over the last five seasons, their record at home to top six finishes, uh, 11 wins, 10 draws, 10 defeats. And I appreciate that on the surface might look not that inspiring or not that amazing but you know forget this is a, a small budgeted team um freiburg and to just basically return a 33 percent loss rate across 30 games against the best teams in the division is, is really quite strong and really quite impressive um absolutely love strike uh, fantastic youth academy there as well as, as a mid-ranking team to be so consistent and so competitive uh, and so able to, to bloody the nose of one of those bigger teams you know you have to take them seriously really and they've been very decent this season too and I like the idea of backing them plus three quarters on the Asian handicap. So uh, we only lose half of our stake if Leipzig win this game by a single goal. We only lose our full stake if, if Leipzig win by two or more goals. Uh, and our Freiburg don't often lose by two goals or more at home when playing the bigger fish. So uh, I like them. If uh, I know Leipzig have had a difficult start, punishing schedule too. Uh, they uh, obviously ran out comfortable winners against Hertha and Bielefeld before the international break as well, which will have restored a bit of belief there. But um, I think if you look across the first seven match days, these two teams are pretty much neck and neck across all the major underlying metrics uh, to me which suggests Freiburg are a little bit underrated and if their name wasn't Freiburg they might well be considered a, a better um, or a, considered a, a much shorter price coming into this match um, also I need to bear in mind that this is the Saturday after an international break Freiburg's squad hasn't been sort of littered with players going across Europe to play for their international teams. There's no major injury news or absentees, very little disruption. They've effectively had two weeks in a, in a training camp to prepare for this, whereas Leipzig will have players going all over the place. And I believe Orban and Olmo are major doubts for this match too. So it feels like a, big of a, a bit of a banana skin for Leipzig this um, immediately after an international break. So yeah, I like uh, Freiburg as, as underdogs here. Yeah, I uh, completely agree with that. And I, I think you're right. I think that record that you described 
Freiburg's home record against the top six is outrageous. Uh, to have only lost a third of the games against that quality of opposition, uh, you know, this is a team that doesn't bring in stars. They don't have a big budget. They have to very much promote from within in terms of getting their youth players uh, into the mix and Christian Strike. I can't think of a coach who's done a better job than him uh, over the past decade. That includes all of the Bayern coaches who've done such incredible things. Let's stay with Germany. The newly promoted sides do battle in the Bundesliga on Saturday. Greuther Furt against Bochum. Stinch, I think it's fair to say neither team has impressed so far. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, it's no surprise, really. I think we, we know that there is a gulf between the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga 2. And then when things happen, for example, Bochum's joint top goal scorer and assist maker, uh, Robert Zula, uh, left for the UAE. You know, you really got problems there because they don't have the money to replace him with someone of anywhere close to the same ability. Uh, we also mentioned, I think you mentioned actually, uh, your concerns regarding uh, Branimir Hugotta's ability to make yeah. a step up. And he's, he scored twice, but they've both been penalties. So nothing from open play. And um, first, second top goal scorer from last season, Harvard Nielsen, zero goals in seven games. So yeah, I'm. it's no surprise really here that I'm looking at uh, a low scoring game. And I'm really, really surprised that the unders is not the favourite I can't I can't understand why I mean Furfa scored five in seven and already mentioned that two of those are penalties and Bochum has scored just four in seven so it's like who does the market think is going to score these goals? To, well, to... Simon Zoller's out as well for Bochum. And, and, and Zoller's another one. I put him in the same bracket as Hergeter in the sense that he's very much a second tier player and he struggles in the top level. But he was their top scorer in Bundesliga 2 last season and he's out as well. Yeah, so I just I don't know where all these, these goals are meant to be coming because um, when you consider that Augsburg play Armenia, on Sunday and under two and a half goals in that game is four to six. Yeah, under two and a half in this is evens. It's like, why is there such a massive discrepancy there? You know, they're all they're all teams that are, basically that is the bottom they're gonna be the bottom four this season. I don't think anybody else. So I, I mean, yeah, I'm very confused why the, the goal line is is as high as it is. Um both are bottom four for shots per game. So it's like, well if you're not taking shots, how are you gonna score goals? Um uh, and then last season in, in Bundesliga 2, it only finished 2-1 and 2-0 with, you know, with their attackers that are probably in a bit more confidence and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think uh, under two and a half goals is the bet. But again, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious, go for under 2.75 goals on the exchange, around about 1.9. That basically means if we do get three goals in the match, I still get half my stake back. So there's a little bit of extra security there. Yeah, I think that's uh, a very interesting bet indeed. We go from what could be a very dull game to what I think could be quite an exciting game because we'll finish in France. We've got Lyon against Monaco. Jake, Lyon a 2.2 to win this. That seems a bit short to me. I'm not sure this Lyon team under Peter Boss just yet are as good as they could be. Yeah, absolutely agree. And that, that's the angle I'm coming at this from. And, you know, the online numbers back that up. We're nine games in in France and... Yeah, they've actually posted a negative expected goal difference have Leon so far this season. So the, the underlying metrics aren't stacking up very well for them. Um, Monaco, obviously, we spoke about them earlier in the season. They started very, very slowly, but have sort of pulled it together a little bit. Um, and their underlying numbers are looking, you know, trending in a much more positive direction, particularly defensively, where they're allowing less than one expected goal again against per game. Um, and to me, they look the better of the two teams. So 
you know, with home advantage, you would still expect Leon to be marginal favourites, but the price available, I think, is a little bit too short for them um, to win the game. So I'm looking at getting Monaco on side. Big price for Monaco to win, but just like with the Wolves bet, I'm going to take Monaco plus naught on the Asian handicap. Just for that added security in case there is a draw, you're still getting 2.44 if Monaco do win the game. Uh, but with, you know, Leon obviously have the quality, the individual quality to to get on the score sheet and maybe get a draw 1-1, 2-2. That wouldn't be a surprise. Um, you're getting your stake back. And the only way you're losing this bet is if Leon actually win the game. And given the way in which they've been defending and, and the way in which they've been conceding chances, I think that's highly unlikely. Now, if any of you are there going, why aren't they talking about Sunday's games? What's going on? There is another show where we look at Sunday's matches. So make sure you check that out. Now it's time for the world famous podcast treble. The great William Shatner recently went into space and on his return to Earth, he may or may not have described this as his favourite betting feature. For the lawyers, he didn't. He definitely didn't say that. Our guys pick a bet each and then our delightful traders wrap them up in a boosted treble. I'm going to go for Stinch first. You get first pick. Thank you, Kev. That's very kind of you. I'm going to go for over 2.5 goals in Everton v West Ham. Uh, 20 of West Ham's last 27, over 2.5. So a nice healthy healthy strike rate of a 74%. And Benitez's seven games so far at Everton have seen 21 goals, so three a game. So I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I There is reservations because I'm not sure about Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin's availability. But this is kind of more leaning towards West Ham's sort of long-term performance that they've been very good going forward. But I think with that, they're leaving a lot of gaps at the back. So, yeah, over 2.5 goals at Goodison Park. I'm looking at Mark to see if he looks angry. No, it looks as though you haven't taken his pick. So I'm going to go to Mark next. Yeah, uh, I'm also going on Sunday as well, and it's both teams to score in Newcastle against Spurs. Um, I fancy uh, things to be pretty frenzied at St. James's Park, sold out game, obviously new era beginning, and I expect that uh, atmosphere to translate onto the pitch too. And Newcastle have been playing pretty gung-ho football uh, for quite some time now, actually. They've scored in 19 of the last 24 Premier League games, and both teams have scored in 18 of those, which is a 75% hit rate. So yeah, and obviously Spurs uh, will obviously relish the opportunity to play on the counter-attack too if that is the case with Newcastle playing front foot football which they have been doing recently so yeah expecting a really good game actually on Sunday both teams to score and that leaves us with Jake who I wonder if he's working out whether his pick is going to be first Jake (laughs) what are you going for? Well, given that we do tend to stick to the Premier League for this treble, um, I've not got many options on the Sunday, have I? In fact, I've got none because there's two games have been taken. So uh, I either go for the Monday game, but there's nothing I fancy in that. So I'm going to have to go early on Saturday. Okay. Leicester Leicester Man United both teams to score. Um, You know, it's a bet that I've tipped up earlier on in the show. The reasoning is there as for why. Um, And yeah, that's the the one. I I thought it was quite a difficult slate on the Saturday to choose... um, uh, I, I would have thrown Wolves in, but they're a bit of a big price. Um, and yeah, the, the both teams score at, at the King Power is the one I'm most confident about. So throw that in and hope that we get run into Sunday. Good. You, you sounded confident about that both teams to score bet earlier. So I was hoping that was the one you were going to go for. It couldn't. I have... actually thought Mark was going to take that one. So when you went to him first, I was a little bit like, oh, man. No, it's I all about psychology. To set you up for Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I see what's happening now. Too controversy. Leave Oscar Thorpe out on his own to ruin the treble before he even gets going. None of them are going to ruin it. It's all going to go well. 
That's all we have time for on this episode of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of other Betfair shows to enjoy, by the way. NFL Only Better with the season well and truly up and running. Cricket Only Better with some great guests on there. A couple of racing shows as well. Racing Only Better and the Wade In podcast. Check us out on social at Betfair or at Betfair Racing or visit Betfair.com. From Jake, Mark, Stinch and me, it's goodbye for now.